My name is Gary McFarlane, Cryptocurrency Analyst at Interactive Investor, and welcome to another episode of the Crypto Podcast. And joining me today is the Chief Executive of Dash Core Group, which is one of the bodies that um, plays a governance and uh, network um, upgrade role uh, for the Dash cryptocurrency. Hi, Ryan. Hi, thanks for uh, having me. Thank you for joining us from, where's, where are you based? In the United States? That's right. We're based out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Scottsdale, Arizona. Gosh. Okay, well, it's hot here in London, but I guess it's hotter probably in uh, Arizona. <laughs> um, well, normally, yeah, it's pretty nice, but uh, it's normally quite hot, especially yeah. this time of year. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, okay, um, Dash. Well, um, lots of our... Uh, customers are probably not that familiar with Dash, but it is one of the top cryptocurrencies. I think it's it's fair to say you're up there, top twenty, top twenty ish. Um, and I think you were actually higher than that to one stage, weren't you? Probably. Um, so, what is Dash in plain English, and as far as plain English as possible when we're dealing with crypto? Uh, what are, what are the functionalities and features that make it um, different to Bitcoin, for example? Sure. So Dash is a cryptocurrency that is really aiming for real-world use as a currency. Um, very payments-oriented and payments-focused. Um, the consequence of that is that a lot of the technologies we build are aimed at making cryptocurrency easier to use and more practical to use uh, in a variety of payment settings. And so just as a couple of examples there, um, Dash has nearly instant transactions. Transactions take about 1.8 seconds on average. And that makes Dash very viable at the point of sale as a payment method. Uh, whereas Bitcoin and most cryptocurrencies, a transaction is not final until uh, that transaction is included in what's called a block on the blockchain. Um, that can take 10 minutes to hours in the case of Bitcoin. And that just doesn't make it very feasible to transact with it, at least not in a live setting. And so uh, Dash has these instant transactions that uh, allow it to be used at the point of sale where more than 95% of all transactions still take place. Um, transaction fees are extremely low. Uh, it's very rare to have a transaction fee cost more than a penny on uh, the Dash network. And um, uh, it has a number of other features that we're working on, uh, introducing usernames to the network so you can simply uh, create a username and friend other users within the network itself and make payments to other usernames. Um, we work on a lot of uh, aspects of allowing easy integration for merchants. And so when it comes to uh, kind of the areas that we focus on, we focus a lot of our attention on making this more usable for merchants and more usable for consumers as a payment method. Okay. So, um, it's sometimes referred to as uh, one of the coins that uh, fits into the privacy space, a so-called privacy coin. Um, 
so what is the functionality in that regard? Um, sure, so... You're still um, pushing, as it were? Um, or, or is that maybe a, an issue going forward because of the regulatory implications? Well, let me explain a little bit about what our privacy feature is and what it isn't. Yeah. Um, because I think the tendency of a lot of media is to label uh, coins in a binary fashion. Either, either it's a privacy coin or it's not. Yeah. Uh, and that is vastly oversimplifying uh, what technologies offer. And in the case of Dash, we utilize a privacy technique called CoinJoin. Uh, it's a brand, private send is the name of the feature and it is a branded implementation of CoinJoin. And what CoinJoin basically is, is it's a specific technique for complicating transactions to the point that they're a little more difficult to track uh, for third parties to observe the blockchain and the transactions taking place and spy on you. Uh, it's always been possible for Bitcoin to complicate transactions. Uh, the first implementation of CoinJoin in Bitcoin actually was integrated long before uh, Dash even existed. And so it's, it's kind of a misnomer to label Dash a privacy coin uh, when it leverages the same technology that many other transparent blockchains leverage. And... Uh, um, I guess the private send is you don't have to use private send as as an option to have a non-private send. Is that there's two types of transaction? Yeah, uh, it's exactly like Bitcoin. If you choose to use a wallet that uh, uh, provides this feature, it is optional. Uh, so you can choose to transact normally, or you can choose to use uh, private send uh, features. The private send uh, feature is only available in our desktop wallets. Uh, it is not available on our mobile wallets and it's not available in multi-currency wallets that a lot of uh, third parties put out. And so as a consequence, it's actually quite rarely used. Uh, only about 0.2% of all transactions on the Dash network are private send transactions. Oh really, okay. Yeah, so you know, it, it it is a feature that's available for users that that want to use it, uh, but uh, it, it's not something that that uh, most people are are interested in using. It seems, oh. and so um, it's really not an aspect that we've focused a lot on. Uh, to answer the question about regulatory concerns, um, yeah. we do occasionally get. Uh, inquiries from exchanges or regulators about the private send feature, um, usually seeking to understand it better and how they can comply with know your customer and anti-money laundering laws. That's usually a, a uh, education process and, and uh, they, they come out the other, other side with an understanding that's, that's far more accurate. Uh, we don't have shielded addresses like Zcash or Monero, um, and every transaction is logged publicly. 
uh, like I said, we just use this uh, technique that complicates transactions and makes them more difficult to analyze. And so um, uh, once we go through that education process, whatever issues uh, or concerns they might have had usually uh, can be addressed. Um, we've actually had a couple of exchanges announce that they were delisting Dash along with Zcash and Monero. Yeah, I was going to come um, to it. Yeah, and and you know, in those cases, we reach out to the exchange, we we educate them, and uh, so far, uh, you know, most of those cases, they relisted the coin within a couple of months. Okay. And so, um, yeah, it really hasn't been a concern uh, with regulators, and uh, we we've, we've managed to get listed on some of the most important exchanges like Coinbase. So, um, yeah you know, that, that should alleviate any, uh, any concerns that some of the smaller exchanges have at this point. Because of course, Coinbase is a, a regulated entity to some extent. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Um, so they wouldn't list it if they weren't confident in their yeah, ability. Um, which does suggest that a lot of the um, concern with privacy coins, uh, if I can use that term loosely, um, and I think Dash is still kind of dumped in there with Monero and, uh, Zcash um, have been around the financial action task force but perhaps that's really more a crypto problem if it is a problem uh, in terms of compliance with uh, travel rules so-called if exchanges are forced to hand over the details of the recipient and the sender of their transactions and their geographical addresses and upper account details that would apply to all crypto not just to so-called privacy coins or just to dash so um, that's right yeah and uh, and um the the travel rule is is something that um you know a great deal of effort has gone into implementing those systems over the last couple of years um i think there's not yet a consistent viewpoint on how to handle some of the more private coins like uh, Monero, I think that they've tried to make the case that, um, you know, similar to cash, you, you can know your customer, you can inquire about source of funds, you can request this information and you can transmit that information uh, through other mechanisms. And so, you know, I think, I think uh, it's yet to be determined how each country will implement the travel rule and, uh, to what extent privacy coins can uh, comply with them. I think for us, um, whatever requirements are in place for Bitcoin would be applicable for, for Dash because there are literally no differences uh, in how the two coins function. Yeah, okay. All right, um, well, moving on then, on um, in terms of how your protocol works, I gather you've had an an upgrade called EvoNet recently. Um, and was that aimed at dealing with some of the issues around liquidity and how that was impacting on network performance? Or am I a bit off beam there? Um, was well, uh, yeah, so uh, we rolled out, um, uh, we're rolling out a new version of Dash uh, that has basically a new product included in it. It's called Dash Platform. 
And what Dash Platform is, is it's, it's basically a development platform. It allows developers to create applications that leverage the Dash network for data storage. Okay. Um, and maybe the best way to explain what that means to a general audience is, is to give a, a use case for that. Um, we are deploying our own application onto Dash Platform called Dash Pay. And what Dash Pay allows users to do is create a Dash username uh, similar to uh, mobile applications that uh, your listeners may already use. Uh, you create a username, you create a friends list, you uh, find out the usernames of your friends and, and send them a request. And once you link up with those users, it's very easy to transact with them uh, simply using their, their usernames. Yeah. Uh, and so Dash Pay leverages the data storage capabilities of Dash Platform in order to store all of that information. It stores the usernames, it uh, stores the information on who has uh, sent friend requests and accepted friend requests to other users. Uh, and it can allow other information to be stored and transferred through the network. Uh, information like uh, memos and notes on what transactions are for. Um, and, and the result is a user experience that's much more familiar and relevant to people. Uh, you know, they don't have to take a training course in order to use cryptocurrency. They don't have to interact with long, scary cryptographic addresses or worry about whether uh, or what might happen if they had a typo in there. Uh, and, and so we're, tr we're trying to basically make cryptocurrency much more accessible. Uh, that uh, initial version went to uh, one of our uh, uh, testing environments in December. It's open to the public to test. Um, we're rolling out new features for it with the aim of getting that on our main net uh, okay. in the near future. So is um, net? Is that the test net, Evo net? Is that the yeah, so we, we host um, uh, an environment called TestNet and another environment called EvoNet, where we're working on some of these more advanced uh, features and, and allowing users to okay. um, interact with the Dash platform. Yeah. But you, you, can, you can use Dash platform to develop anything and, and we're releasing software development kits and other things for developers to build their own applications on top of Dash platform. An example might be an invoicing application um, where users can store data about the payment requests like you know the invoice number, the bill of lading, uh, the uh, purchase order number associated with the invoice, any amount of information that they want, and both the the sender and recipient would be able to access all of that information. And Good. so uh, the aim here is to bring in a lot more developers to the Dash ecosystem, uh, creating solutions that creates demand for the coin and for transactions on our network. Okay, so it makes running a, a and developing a smart contract much easier. Yeah, and these are different than smart contracts. Uh, smart contracts, uh, like what Ethereum has, yeah. uh, basically these are giant 
decentralized computers, uh, the compute actually takes place within the Ethereum network. Um, what we've done is we've created a new concept called data contracts. And uh, data contracts, in contrast to uh, smart contracts, the compute takes place on your local devices, whether that's a computer or a mobile device, and only the data is stored within the network. And we think that's a smarter approach for most applications. Uh, most applications, you know, uh, local compute works great. It's very efficient. Uh, it allows for uh, these applications to be delivered at very low cost. In contrast, um, smart contracts uh, like, like what you have with Ethereum, because you're basically paying to have that computation run thousands of times on thousands of computers in parallel around the world, is it's very expensive. Yeah. It's also, uh, it also means you need to over-engineer your application. And mm. the reason is, is because once you put that implication into the application into the wild, you can't change it. Yes. Yeah. And so it's a bit like uh, sending hardware to the moon, you have to make sure it's not going to fail once you launch. And as a consequence, the engineering uh, that needs to take place to, to, to create an application to such a high standard of quality uh, is very, very expensive for the developers. Yeah. And if you get it wrong, your code is unstoppable once it launches. Yeah. And that that's great for certain applications, but for most applications where you're just looking to synchronize some data and uh, interact with other users, that's overkill. And yeah. so we're, we're, we're trying to create solutions that are more practical for more, more use cases. Yeah, that sounds like a very good um, kind of value differential. I hadn't quite appreciated what, exactly what Dash was doing there with uh, data contracts, as, you, as you've described. So. How do we, how does Dash deal with network resource and who's paying for all? Because there has to be some um, expenditure of computing power to run the master nodes that do the looking after the network and verifying of transactions. Yes, yeah, so uh, all of the features that we've talked about uh, are made possible because of Dash's unique uh, structure. In the case of Bitcoin and most cryptocurrencies, uh, today, um, new coins are created on an ongoing basis, and in the case of Bitcoin, 100% uh, of those new coins and 100% of the transaction fees collected on the network all go towards one task, and that's uh, the process of mining. And what that does is it secures the network. Uh, but uh, there's a couple problems with that. One is there's diminishing returns. Uh, once you're 99.999% secure, uh, spending more transaction fees and, and new coins on incremental computing power doesn't really buy you much additional security. Uh, you can only reach 100%, and, and that last little bit is infinitely expensive. And so... Uh, we felt like there's more than one need to operating a payment network. Uh, you need developers, you need legal work done, you need marketing, you need business development, uh, you, you need infrastructure. And so we <coughs> developed, uh, 
divided up our block reward into three major components. 45% uh, of that block reward goes towards mining. So, you know, that maintains a, a very secure network. Uh, another 45% goes towards masternodes. These are uh, nodes or servers that make up the network. Uh, and then the last 10% is set aside uh, for what we call our proposal system. Um, and I'll kind of explain what that is. But, but what the structure allows us to do is the servers that are actually relaying the messages around the network, storing full copies of the transaction data, um, and basically allowing the network to run, that's a paid role in Dash that isn't paid in Bitcoin. In the case of Bitcoin, you're relying on uh, individuals and companies volunteering their computing power in order to, to allow the network to function. And in the case of Dash, we, we pay for those roles. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the reason why Dash is so fast. Um, is but it's also there? Uh, your, your critics would say that there is a trade-off in terms of centralization. Um, well, we have around 4,600 masternodes. Uh, yeah. So it's not very centralized at all. Okay. Um, you oh, so that. Is it the liquidity providers? There's five, is there five main liquidity providers? Or? How does that work? People are saying uh, try to get around some of the issues of running the network by centralizing some of the services that are provided. Uh, no. None of the services are centralized. Uh, the master nodes uh, provide all of the services that we're talking about in terms of uh, instant send, private send, uh, uh, hosting of data. Uh, all of that is uh, decentralized in the masternode okay. layer. What about the liquidity uh, question? Isn't there, aren't, aren't there a, I'm, I'm not there sure what you're referring to there. Um, we don't have, uh, I mean, liquidity is available on any of the exchanges that list Dash, yeah. uh, and it's provided user to user. Um, uh, all the Dash that's available for sale on exchanges is, is uh, uh, for sale from users and and uh, bought by other users. We don't have a uh, centralized liquidity provider anywhere. Um, and we're not paying any liquidity providers to provide liquidity for Dash. Okay. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I haven't ever heard that criticism before, so um, not really sure yeah. uh, where that, that one came from, but uh, yeah, no, the, the master layer of the network is highly decentralized. Um, anyone is free to start a masternode. There is a prerequisite. You have to prove ownership over 1,000 Dash, and currently that's about $75,000 uh, worth of Dash. And so um, anyone is free to download the Dash software and run a full node on the network, just like they are with Bitcoin. Uh, but in order to join the masternode, layer of the network, uh, you have to prove ownership over a thousand dash. And what that does is it prevents any one entity from controlling a large number of masternodes. Uh, I, I simply can't go in and uh, spin up as many masternodes as I would like. Uh, I have to have that thousand dash uh, per masternode in order to operate them. 
And so as a consequence, that layer is very decentralized. You compare that with Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, there's basically, you know, a handful of miners that uh, control the Bitcoin network at any point in time um, based on, you know, their computing power that they're providing to the network. In the case of Dash, there's thousands of masternode owners that uh, make up those 4,600 masternodes. Okay, so um, we fair to say you're one of the first kind of staking, proof of stake almost um, networks, or you're a mixture of both, both because you said there's mining as well as the proof of stake concept. Well, proof of stake is a very technical term, um, and it refers to the process of creating coins through or, or creating uh, blocks and, and confirming transactions. All transactions are confirmed on the Dash network through proof of work. Um, and so we don't have proof of stake and we don't have a mixture of proof of work and proof of stake. The network security is underpinned with uh, proof of work, same as Bitcoin. Okay. Um, the sure. difference is that when a block is created through proof of work, in order for that block to be valid, they must also uh, pay a masternode yeah. um, in that block. And, uh, and that payment is kind of round robin uh, style across the masternode network. And so uh, masternodes are paid periodically um, and miners are paid as they find blocks. So it is completely okay. proof of work. Uh, there is no proof of stake in the network. It does have some attributes of proof of stake though, in the sense that if you hold a thousand dash, yes. you can earn a reward for doing so. Um, holding the dash itself is not sufficient. You also have to operate a masternode and keep that up and running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Okay. Um, they tend to be hosted in professional data centers. Um, there are masternode hosting services that will do it for you. Um, and basically uh, provide services to the network and you're getting paid for providing those services. Okay. So 10% um, of the rewards is earmarked for proposals and all the masternodes get to vote on what proposals are coming up this month? That's right. So uh, approximately once a month, um, there is a what's called a super block in the Dash network. And this is a block that pays out uh, all of the approved proposals for the month. Um, basically 10% of the block reward is reserved for this super block. Um, anyone is free to put a proposal up to the Dash network. You could put a proposal up to the Dash network uh, to provide uh, you know, some service. Um, there's just a small fee for posting that to the network. Um, and uh, then the network votes. And on a monthly basis, there's an approved list of proposals. Um, up to that full 10% of the block reward can be rewarded and the highest ranking proposals pay out first. Um, this is how Dash Core Group uh, gets its funding. We're accountable to the network. We have to continuously deliver um, in order to continue receiving funding. And so uh, basically on a monthly basis, we put a proposal up for our core team compensation. 
Um, we usually have another proposal in there uh, for uh, topping up a legal budget or um, marketing or business development or infrastructure or any of the other needs that the network might have. Um, we compete with other proposal owners. We have no special uh, position there and there are other development teams working for the network besides Dash Core Group. And um, yeah, on a monthly cycle, uh, all the teams that are working for Dash get paid and, and uh, use that in order to fund their operations. Okay. Um, and it, it's been working since 2015. It's really effective. Uh, and it provides ongoing development for the network that, uh, you know, a lot of projects just lack. Uh, they're they're struggling for funding. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they are dependent on donations in order to fund their development. And even some of the larger coins that are reliant on that model aren't able to get the funding that they need to continuously grow. Yeah. Um, those sort of governance issues have kind of plagued the space um, and trying to get the money to keep on developing the network and agreement on that seems to be quite important and that seems to have got, you've got that kind of covered by the sound of it. Um, so what is that? Yeah, I think, I think there's some interesting models out there. I mean, we saw the ICO uh, initial coin offering boom back in 2017, 2018. And the question that has never been adequately answered for me is what happens when that funding runs out? Uh, you know, it, it gives them these projects a big boost in the beginning and a, a large uh, bucket of money for teams to go execute. But if they're ineffective, it's unclear how they can be ousted or the resources can be diverted somewhere else where that we're or to a team that would be effective. Yeah. And uh, even if they are able to deliver, that's a finite amount of funding. And, uh, you know, we've already seen what can happen is, is teams either run out and the project dies or uh, they uh, run out and issue more coins in order to keep the network running and uh, everyone gets diluted in that process. And so th this is a, a means that's much more effective in yeah. my view. And we were able to do it at a time when governance wasn't a popular topic back in 2015 when we created uh, our governance system to, to lay on top of the network. And, and it's proven very effective. Yeah. Um, Dash is a fork from Bitcoin, isn't it, originally? Is that right? Have I got that right? Well, actually, uh, it's a little more complicated. Um, yeah, Dash uh, forked its code uh, from Litecoin originally. Oh. And Litecoin is a fork yes. of Bitcoin. Um, we found that you know Litecoin has not and, and still does not have a great deal of development uh, taking place. Most of the development... Um, that we see is is on the Bitcoin protocol. And so uh, quite a few years back, we uh, made the switch and, and uh, forked our code off of Bitcoin instead of Litecoin. So now when Bitcoin incorporates an improvement, we're able to merge that code into our own code base and take advantage of it. 
So, so we are currently forked from Bitcoin's code at this point. Right. Um, so where does Dash go from here? You well, the, the big focus for this year is getting a uh, platform onto mainnet uh, yep. so that we can take advantage of the user, the improved user experience uh, and also start to attract a lot more developers to our community. We've already seen a great response from developers uh, getting involved. There's a uh, uh, Discord channel. Discord is, is a uh, chat application. And there's a, a uh, channel that's been set up specifically for developers. And, and we've seen some thriving levels of activity there. Uh, a lot of developers are really anxious to take advantage of this and, and they've already been developing applications that can run on it uh, once we're able to launch. Um, we're also uh, focused on some growth opportunities that we have in Venezuela. Uh, we just announced an integration into the point of sale system Megasoft, which has uh, tens of thousands of merchants uh, mm. on their platform across the country. Uh, Venezuela is a country we've seen a great deal of adoption. Um, we have, yeah. Historically, I've noticed that. Why is that? Um, how did that happen, particularly? Well, Venezuela has undergone a period of very high inflation. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's been a loss of confidence in the local currency, uh, and cryptocurrencies have become quite popular there. Mm. Even though cryptocurrencies are volatile, uh, they at least hold their value yeah. much better than 1 million percent inflation. And so... But why uh, Bitcoin? Bitcoin? Is it because your transaction speed and this is cheaper to do stuff with? Well, yeah, so uh, Bitcoin has, um, you know, been very popular with Venezuela. Uh, there's even been some anecdotal evidence that a lot of the activity taking place throughout South America is linked to Venezuela, when there was a power outage in Venezuela that lasted a few days, mm. activity on Bitcoin in other countries actually dropped. And so it, it may be that Bitcoin is being used quite heavily for remittances, both in and out of the country. Um, but uh, Bitcoin isn't uh, particularly useful, as I mentioned earlier, at the point of sale. Yeah. Um, it's also becoming quite expensive. The average transaction fee is over $6. And for uh, low-income uh, Venezuelans, that's simply not feasible. Yeah. And so uh, when you look at the point-of-sale data uh, from some of our partners that have integrated Bitcoin, Dash, Litecoin, and others, uh, Bitcoin is uh, neck and neck with Dash in terms of usage. And it depends on the month. Sometimes Dash is used more frequently and sometimes Bitcoin is used more frequently. I think with the recent increase in transaction fees, my guess is that Dash is now being used more frequently at the point of sale. Um, and, you know, it's that focus on a particular set of use cases that has allowed us to really grow in the country. Um, the other aspect that has allowed us to grow there is the proposal system. There are a number of local teams that are funded by the network to go out service merchants. Um, we have a call center in Venezuela where our users can call in and get support. Okay. Uh, we have a number of teams that are 
working on adoption efforts, education efforts. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's that uh, uh, focus on a use case and a set of users and the ability to go fund those teams has allowed us to really flourish there. Thank you very much for illuminating. I've learned a bit more about Dash and I hope our listeners have also. So thanks again, Ryan, from um, Dash in Arizona, United States, um, for getting us up to speed and up to date on what's going on with the Dash cryptocurrency and its network. Mm -hmm.